Hi, I'm Carly. And I'm Trey with New City Church. Welcome to our podcast series on faith and mental health. Each week we will unpack a topic relating to emotional or mental health and walking out a life of faith. The format will vary slightly from week to week from teaching, practical advice, conversation, interviews, and practices that we have found helpful in our own lives. So, let's jump on in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first interview of our Faith and Mental Health podcast series. Uh, I'm so excited that we've got my friend Jesse Lusco on here today. Jesse and I got connected, uh, what was it, back in August uh, via this pastor's cohort that we're a part of called the Sea Rock Sessions. Jesse is a uh, kind and wonderful human being who loves God and loves people really well, and we um, really connected over our stories with uh, mental health. He's starting a church in Portland, Oregon called Counterculture, um, and I'm really excited to have him on the show today. Uh, so, Jesse, I guess just starting off, uh, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah. So it's great to be here with you, Trey, and uh, I still remember walking to eat some amazing sidecar donuts in uh, Long Beach uh, with you there at Sea Rock Sessions, and, and then getting to go all over the country to these cool cohorts, such a amazing thing and, and really rich and deep. But yeah, so yeah, my name's Jesse. Uh, I some things about me. Uh, I am a husband, got married really young. I always joke around and say, not everything about purity culture is bad. My wife's awesome. <laughs> but uh, anyways, that's, uh, that's that's just a little joke for the, the uh, Christians uh, on TikTok. But uh, anyhow, I am been married 13 years. I have a nine-year-old son. It feels insane to say. And then I have a, a five-year-old daughter, and they are hilarious. Other things about me. I am a pastor. I've been pastoring pretty much the same amount of time I've been married. Um, yeah, I got into ministry very young as well. Uh, some fun things. I enjoy photography. We were just talking about that before we started recording. I enjoy photography. I enjoy hiking. I like movies. I like going to delicious coffee shops and restaurants. Uh, those are some things about me. That's amazing. Uh, what's your uh, go-to coffee shop in, in Portland? Ooh, man, there's so many good ones. I think, you literally could make it up, and most of the yeah. national people would have no idea. So, fair enough, fair enough. I, I feel like one that I'm I am a big fan of. They've been around a while, but is Kova. Like I I, mm. I think Kova is just as good as Heart, but it's just less pretentious. And actually, uh, no offense to Heart, I love the Heart people out there. I know they got a big following. They're got a big brand, but their shops have kind of dropped off throughout the pandemic, and Kova has just continued to rise. So. Um, yeah, COVID's pretty good in my book. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Um, all right. Uh, well, uh, let's just let's just dive in and go for it. Uh, this is a conversation on faith and mental health. So, uh, related to that, with your story, can you tell us a little bit about what your journey has been like with mental health? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Um, my story with mental health. Yeah, I guess it gets more into like the layers of my backstory, but uh, yeah, I'll just kind of go into the backstory of my family and everything. So um, neither one of my parents grew up in church at all, and they both had honestly pretty difficult uh, upbringings and, and you know, childhoods. And I mean, obviously everything can be a, a mixed bag, but yeah, a lot of divorce and brokenness, some 
abuse and violence in both my parents' lives. And then they came to Christ in their 20s in pretty wild ways. Like they were actual hippies, like hitchhiked around America, lived in the Bahamas, lived on beaches, like lived in abandoned houses in Taos, New Mexico, and just like, you know, true hippies. And then actually came to Christ out of that. And uh, we're married for about 20 years, but, you know, obviously there's still brokenness and obviously we're all living kind of in the, in the now and not yet where we get glimmers of redemption and, and a foretaste of redemption, but the full healing of our minds and bodies and everything hasn't fully happened. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, there's still some brokenness and whatnot going on. And uh, without getting into all the gory details, um, basically, uh, after about 20 years of marriage, my mom kind of just unraveled and decided she didn't really want to go to church or I don't know, certainly not in the Orthodox sense, didn't want to be a follower of Jesus anymore and didn't want to be married to my dad anymore. And, uh, and they got divorced when I was about, um, probably about 10 years old. And I never, uh, knew that this was what was going on, but all throughout like middle school and high school, I was just kind of an unusual kid and uh yeah like i remember in high school there was like a bridge at my school and i was just like a skateboarder and i like i told people i wanted to be a hobo and like i would listen to you know led zeppelin or pink floyd and skateboard and at at school i'd go sleep under the bridge like like every day at school i just go like sleep under the bridge one one time a kid like came and poured a dr pepper through the bridge onto my head but uh but i realize now like oh sleeping under the bridge at school that's called a clinical depression. <laughs> and I didn't know yeah, yeah. that's what was going on. But uh, but then my life really got transformed and impacted by the gospel and actually by a mentor who ended up being a part of C-Rock. You might have met him. Did you meet Josh Bowers, the church plant from Detroit? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, he's got a shaved head and glasses. Uh, yes, yeah, he's he cool. He's a church in Detroit. He, he uh, was a mentor of mine met me around that time when I was like 14, we went on some mission trips wow. together and through just the power of the gospel and community and friendship, the trajectory of my life really got changed to where, uh, I, I had community and I had hope in God and I had, um, forgiveness in my heart towards my mom. And I kind of came out of that depression to a large extent, but, uh, flash forward, way on through going to Bible college, getting married, um, being a youth pastor for years. And I still remember kind of like battling inner demons in it. And I almost just felt like it was spiritual warfare at the time, but just like battling periods of kind of like the, the black dog of depression. But, but like, yeah, I remember quoting Psalm 46, like out loud to myself, like so many times and just kind of fighting through it. Um, but never getting any professional help, never getting any medication, none of that. And I don't know if I remember anyone specifically saying that stuff was bad, but uh, I don't know. I just never pursued it. <clears throat> and um, and then on into, we actually planted a church at the age of 25, which is kind of insane, kind of crazy. But we moved to Portland in, in uh, 2015, and my wife and I, with our little three-year-old son at the time actually planted a church and, and it grew and, and it, it, I'm not saying it was perfect. It wasn't like this 
crazy raging success or anything, but it was month over month. It was growing. It was growing financially. People were getting baptized. We were serving in the foster care, you know, PSU students were coming to Christ. Like there were good things happening, but I was a workaholic and I was just going pedal to the metal, you know, 80 hours a week. And my mind was just always racing, always thinking about the church. And eventually I, uh, I had like a psychotic break and I had what's called a manic episode and I didn't sleep for three days and uh, mm. I was just not in, in the right frame of mind at all and then ended up getting into a, a super bad car accident and I wasn't like drinking or doing drugs. It was just psychological. It was like uh, my brain was doping, dumping dopamine and uh, I was having what's called a manic episode and um <clears throat> Yeah, I got in a horrible car accident, got taken in an ambulance, was like screaming and kind of psychotic and, uh, you know, woke up like 16 hours later in the emergency room and my my wife was there and the doctor came in and told me I had uh, bipolar depression. And so I got diagnosed with uh, a manic depression and bipolar depression. And um, yeah, that was at the age of 27. So that was six years ago now. It'll be six years next month. And, uh, yeah, my whole life just came absolutely crashing down. Hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, that's an honor. I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot on this, uh, uh, yeah, uh, on this podcast too, is just how sometimes it feels like, uh, people don't talk about this stuff. sometimes. And so when you find yourself in whatever situation, um, you know, even just like hearing you say earlier, like, I don't know that I heard somebody say something like I shouldn't do this, but I also like, didn't like, I, I didn't know. Um, and so thank you for sharing because your, your story, um, yeah, benefits a lot more people than, you know. Um, so thank you. Um, what types of, uh, um, yeah, I guess could you tell us a little bit about like the aftermath of that? Like what was it like in that those like post six years? Like what has that been like for you yeah. in your journey of understanding God and ministry and um like your own soul care and all of those types of things? Yeah. No, thanks, Trey. Uh yeah, so there is a lot of redemption that's that's come since then in, in the in the six years, but I kinda wanna just kind of give you the Yeah. The intense conflict of the story. So yeah, um, my board and and I don't blame them. I have no hard feelings towards them. And I, and I really see God's goodness and redemption. I, I love the story of Joseph, you know, at the end of Joseph's life, he says, you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I, and I guess, you know, also weaving in a little bit of the book of Job, like if we believe the book of Job, like God has an asymmetrical relationship to evil and that God is not the author of evil, but he is the authorizer of evil and that he authorizes, supervises, and ultimately overrides evil. But if Satan is ultimately the one bringing the chaos into Job's life, I have to believe on to some degree, like even though it's neurological and, and, and chemical and psychological and, and emotional, if Satan is somehow behind it, I have to believe that um, God is ultimately that we can say like Joseph, Satan meant it for evil, you know, 
but God meant it for good mm. for the saving of many lives. So I, anyways, all that is is to say I don't have any resentment towards my board, but they made me resign for my church and uh, um, yeah, or asked me to, and I, I chose to submit to them. And then they merged my church with another church, which was extremely painful. And then we didn't have any like real prospects. And like the only community we had was kind of like freaked out just by how intense that car accident was in the manic episode. Uh, so we didn't really have a community here for us in Portland. So we ended up relocating to Southern California to a friend who was very generous and loving and gracious. He's a great guy, but I went in 2017, uh, on into 2018 into a catastrophic depression. And I was mm. you know, doing, doing graphic design for him and, and doing his youth group at his church in, uh, Inland Empire in Southern California. But I, and then I ended up later, I got an opportunity to teach at the Bible college, which ended up being really redemptive because I was teaching through first Peter, which is all about suffering. But I went into a catastrophic depression. And if you're listening to this and you are in true major depression, I just want you to know, I know what that feels like where I had had other little depressions before, but like, I remember being at a place where I would just get to the office and I'd be there by myself and I would just uncontrollably cry and weep. And like I could, I was trembling and shaking and could barely function. And I just, I felt absolutely worthless. And, and, you know, um, by God's grace, I never attempted or anything, but I want, I thought about committing suicide every, every minute you know, like, like it was, it was, that's how bad the depression was. And, uh, and I was getting, at this point I was taking medication and, um, I had found a decent counselor in Portland, but in California, I didn't, I did not find any good therapists. All the therapists seemed more depressed than me, (laughs) but, but, Mm. uh, so that was tough. Uh, and then later when I ended up in Albuquerque, I found a phenomenal psychologist. So I'm a big fan of cognitive behavioral therapy and a big fan of, you know, the right medication and whatnot. But at this point in California, I don't think I was on the right medication and I definitely was, was not finding the right Mm. therapists or psychologists. They were completely unhelpful. And, uh, yeah, I, it was, it was an agonizingly brutal season. But what I always like to tell people is this, is that people would try to speak words like it's going to get better, Jesse, God's got a plan. God's going to redeem this. And those words felt like ashes to me. They, they, they felt like worse than nothing. You know what I mean? Like it was so impossible for me to conceive uh you know i I had built this church with my wife we had got you know so much attention we were getting national attention i was getting invited to speak around the country and then to just be publicly humiliated and branded with this stigma oh mentally ill like it that categorization and to have the church ripped away from us and like I just, I just felt like there was no hope. But what I want to speak to anyone listening is this, is that if you're if you're in that position and you feel like you can't visualize a brighter tomorrow, to me, it felt like being trapped, and you probably know this, Trey, it felt like being trapped in a pitch black underground maze. And people are like, mm. look on the bright side, just, you know, come out of it. And you're like, I want to look on the bright side, but everywhere I turn... They're just more dark thoughts. 
and I try to think of a good thought, and then more dark thoughts come, and I'm just trapped in this pitch black underground maze, and your brain is literally like not producing serotonin, and you've got all these negative thought patterns, and you're just trapped. But what I want to say to you is this. Don't give up. If you just keep going, you just keep going, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, it may take six months, it may take a year, I hope not, but it might take two years, but a day will eventually come, because it came for me, where you're standing in the sunshine, and you maybe you're eating a meal with a friend, or you're uh, just taking a walk, and you look around and you go, I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad yeah. to still be here. And that day will eventually come. And it came for me. And uh, yeah, and like I said, um, you know, yeah, the, the other thing that I really like to tell people is this, is that suicide doesn't end your pain. It transfers it to everyone you love. And hmm. I heard a girl killed herself in Southern California, a middle schooler, and I was promoting this event we were doing and this random youth pastor who I had never seen before and I've never seen since told me that in reference to that girl. He said, he said, you know, suicide doesn't end your pain. It, it, it transfers it to those you love. And I never heard anybody say that before. And he was saying it about the girl because I think he was officiating the funeral. And he didn't know that I needed to hear those words. And mm-hmm. I started repeating those words to myself every day, and it kind of kept me alive, <laughs> like when I was in Southern California. And so I, I just, I mm-hmm. just want you to know, you want your pain to end, but the truth is, like, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he would love mm-hmm. to, to, to set you off like a atomic bomb, so that everyone around you gets radiation sickness, and everyone mm-hmm. else around you is, is left with the shrapnel and the, and the and the collateral damage of, of, you know, say and destroying your life. Mm. So I just kept going in, in Southern California by God's grace. And, and if you keep going and you keep going, you keep going, eventually you will see the light again. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I was, as you were talking, Jesse, I was just reminded of the words of the um, psalmist. I'm trying to remember which psalm it is, but uh, it was a really comforting one for me in times of really dark depression where it said like darkness is my only companion. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I've talked about this, but I would, I remember a couple of times, like just hearing the refrain of like the hello darkness, my old friend, um, you know, and like, there's like also for me, you know, there is like, even just a, there's a, once you recognize like, Hey, this is where I'm at and I am in this dark sort of maze, there is like a, I don't know. Yeah. Just like, it might not be tomorrow. It might not be six months. It might not be a year or two. I don't know what that looks like. Um, yeah. I remember, yeah, Jesse, I remember one of the things you told me, like when we were at, uh, our first session in, uh, for Sea rock, um, we were, you know, praying together and you said, you know, one day, like the Lord's going to take all this away. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and yes. one day, like we won't struggle yes. with this like mental health stuff anymore. Yeah. And yeah. so whether that is like 15 years, 20 years, the yeah. rest of your life or yeah. just a, a, two weeks, um, yeah. For us who follow Jesus, it does not get the last word, and um, and that's yeah, encouraging. But that that like also is held with the like he's with us in this too, you know. Um, And yeah, yeah, so thank you for um, sharing on this. Uh, You you touched on this a good bit, uh, but 
you what types of messages did you hear about mental health uh either growing up maybe they were uh, implicit maybe they're explicit messages from the yeah. church or from other places what type of things did you yeah. um hear that maybe you had to unravel or process through in your own journey yeah yeah you know i i don't feel like anyone in my life specifically like no person in my immediate life there's one bible teacher who i'm not going to name who actually do remember saying like almost saying like psychology's bad and medication's bad and stuff. Um, but I don't think anyone in my life specifically said it, but I think there's, and sometimes we like to hit the church like a pinata and sometimes the church deserves it, I suppose. Sure. But I, but I think it's also human nature. I don't think it's just the church. I think it's human nature. Human nature is just prideful and we don't want help. And, and so there's like, there can sometimes just be the stigma of like, just for everybody. It's like, Oh, if, if you, if you're, going to therapy or weak. And I think that's actually changed in recent years. I think in, in, in like our generation, both in mainstream culture and within the church, it's become more normal to say you have a therapist or whatever. But I definitely think wherever I internalized it from, whether it's just the culture at large or just human nature, or, or I mean, there was that one particular Bible teacher on the radio, like I definitely had this sense of like, no, I'm not going to go to marriage counseling. That's for weak people. Like, no, I'm not going to go to therapy for that's for weak people. You know, I'm strong. I'm just going to grit my teeth and like trust God and, 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 um, buckle up. And then I do think that like, certainly when it comes to like antidepressants, uh, there was sort of this sense of like, yeah, just have faith. Like why, why, why would you need some like psychotropic drug controlling you? Like, don't you want the Holy spirit to control you? And without going off on it for too long, I mean, you've probably, maybe you've said this before, Trey, but like that mentality is actually sort of Gnostic. It's not really Christian. Yep. Like, so Plato, and maybe you've shared this before, I don't know, but like Plato, no, go for it, man. Plato said the body was a shackle and that, you know, there's this higher spiritual world of ideals, the ideal world. And then, and that this world is like, corrupt it's base it's tainted and and that our real idea is to like transcend this world and this body is like a prison it's a shackle but that's not the way the bible starts think about the hebrew bible who makes the world god does what does he say he says it's good it's very good and and so uh sadly through like origin and before origin philo uh the bible i mean sorry not the bible um kind of early church culture at some points imported some Plato platonic ideas into their theology. And then there's also the Gnostics who kind of had Plato as well. And they also had this weird like mystery cults. They had the same idea that like, so, like the true God didn't create the physical world. Um, these like lower emanations of like rogue little angel guys or demon guys like they yeah. lesser gods they created the physical world and the physical world's bad that's gnosticism the bible says that god loves the physical world that's why the incarnation is so important that's why uh in i think it's in uh second timothy paul says it's the doctrines of demons to forbid people to eat food or forbid people to marry that that gnosticism is a doctrine of demons actually because uh, mm. Genesis says the physical world's good. Well, all that is is to say is that just like it's okay to take medication for your pancreas if you have diabetes, and just like it's okay 
to take medication for your heart if you have like high cholesterol. The physical world's good. Our God made our brains. Like we're like our soul is embodied, and 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 our our. I, I like to say that um, mental health is multidimensional. So mm. there's a spiritual dimension, there's a physical dimension, and then there's a social emotional dimension, and it's like three D. And if you just say only the physical matters, like an atheist would or like an, uh, a materialist would, all, all that matters, just take the medication. And some doctors, unfortunately, are like that. Just take the medication. Or if you just say, oh, just pray more and, and we'll cast out the demons and we'll believe God will cast out this demon of depression. Have more faith. Have more faith. Have more faith. Don't take that medication. Or you just say, go to talk therapy and just do therapy and just do therapy and talk and talk and talk. If you only choose one of those, you're drawing stick figures. You're drawing mm. a stick figure, but the world isn't two-dimensional or one-dimensional. It's three-dimensional. And and so mental health, I think there's a spiritual component. For me, it was rather than finding my worth in my work and my achievements and my Instagram following and my success and my fame, I needed to relocate my worth into Jesus. So that was the spiritual side for me. Then there's, you know, the emotional side and that's, you know, the cognitive behavioral therapy has helped me so much of, of, of realizing you can have these distorted thoughts and you need to rewrite them. And then the medication helps where I take lithium for a while. I was on the wrong medication. It was horrible, <laughs> but I got on the right medication, lithium. It's amazing. Uh, it both balances out the upswings for me with the mania and the dopamine and it balances the downswings with the serotonin and it kind of keeps you, it's called a mood stabilizer. But maybe, you know, for other people, they take <clears throat> um, uh, like an antidepressant. And antidepressants, from what I understand, they help with the serotonin, but they also help with neuroplasticity. Uh, mm -hmm. Neuroplasticity is your brain's ability to kind of be like Play-Doh that's dry. But if you dump water on Play-Doh that's dry, it's easier to mold. And that's kind of as far as I understand. And, and I'm not an expert. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have degrees or anything. Don't don't cite me <laughs> but like but but as far as i understand it um the the antidepressants can help you rewire your thoughts so you have fewer of these negative destructive distorted thoughts um but yeah so mm. uh I, I just would say that no you're not weak if you go to therapy no you're not weak if you take medication and god made the physical world and so i i think um we do well to not ignore it. Mm, man, that's such a, man, that's such a good word. This is your talk. I mean, that, that is like, it's so clear that you have like sat in that and the Lord has marinated that like in you, you know, like a steak or something like, it's just like, it's gotten rich because of that time. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I love that three dimensional, um, picture and that. Yeah. The thing about Plato and Gnosticism, uh, yeah, that's very important because I, I think, about yeah, you don't kinds of Play-Doh now that I think about it. That's weird. I know. I was thinking that too. <laughs> I was like, that was not on purpose. There are two different kinds of Play-Doh in there. There was the Greek guy and the children's putty. <laughs> I mean, great like parallel there though. Like, you know, you got a sermon, you got the two different yeah, Play-Doh Play references. Play-Doh and Play-Doh. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so with that, uh, like how have you experienced God uh, in this journey um maybe uh 
was it hard to experience him? What was it like while you were in the midst of it? What what was that like time with God like? Um, and what have you learned about him now, about where he was mm-hmm. and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I mentioned earlier that when I was in Southern California, um, I taught at the Bible college that I had attended out there uh, just as like a guest a guest teacher or guest professor i taught through the full full book of first peter and um uh in first peter he's writing to suffering christians and they are suffering in a way that's kind of like unfathomable like like we talk about you know the problem of evil sometimes it's like armchair people but but i think it's really helpful to remember that like almost all of the probably all of the biblical authors suffered in ways that we can't even comprehend or fathom like they were much closer to the suffering of this planet than we are and i mean some of their letters were written from like rat infested cells with like sewage flowing through them or at least they'd spent time in those cells before they wrote their letter wrote their letters and uh and then first peter he's writing to christians who are going to be like um at least like socially ostracized at first mocked you know maybe kicked out of their families banished and then uh he does mention that there's going to be like physical suffering and then we know not long after it i mean they have like holes drilled into their head and burning hot metal pouring on their brains. You know, they, they, they were ripped apart by lions. You know, I'm sure everybody knows, like, sawn in two, drawn and quartered, crucified, like, just, like, things things we can't even process. Yeah. And, but he tells them that, like, he tells them in chapter one that, like, their faith, which is of more worth than gold purified in the fire, will be, like, found to the praise and glory of God, like when Christ returns. And then later on, I think it's in chapter three and chapter four, he, he talks about how like their suffering will be turned to glory. And, um, and I just think what really truly helped me when I was so depressed in Southern California was like, I had a very difficult time believing that my life could get better, believing that God could use it for good. Like I just had such a hard time envisioning a positive reality. But then I thought about Peter and I thought, how did Peter get to the point where he could encourage these Christians to believe their suffering would turn to glory? I thought, man, well, I guess Peter kind of watched that happen, didn't he? Like if Peter, if you would have been Peter or Thomas or, or, you know, Mary or whoever, and you watched Jesus get crucified, you would go, Oh, well, I guess uh, Caesar is Lord. Like, Hmm. I guess he wasn't the Messiah. Like, uh, Rome wins like they always do. And like the chief priests win. And like, I guess we were just idiots, you know, like maybe Yahweh's not real. Like you would walk away from the cross being like, well, I guess that didn't work out. Right. Like this is all, this is all a sham. But then and that we're we're recording this right before Good Friday and Easter like yeah. but then something happened where Peter spends the rest of his life going everywhere he can telling hey guess what Caesar isn't lord Jesus is lord cuz he rose Come from on. the dead and, and 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 something was transformative and and then i think about 
the people that he's writing to in first Peter saying that their suffering will turn to glory. And they're sitting there, you know, in some random arena in like Bithynia or, or, or Pontus or, you know, whatever, somewhere in, in modern day Turkey, because they had little mini coliseums and all those places. And like, they're sitting there and, and their children are being killed in front of them. And, 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 and an arena arena of people is, is cheering as tigers rip them apart and they would be tempted to go like, yeah, I guess uh, Jesus isn't Lord. <laughs> like, I guess Caesar is Lord. Like, my daughter just got eaten by a tiger. Like, this is crazy, right? But I, but this weird thought came in my head, and this is it. What if you could transport? Uh, what if you could transport one of those people in that in that Roman Colosseum to like a Billy Graham crusade, or like? What if you could transport them through time to like a worship concert in Rio de Janeiro that has 20,000 people singing the name of Jesus? Mm. Like what if you could transport them, you know, wow. for all of its flaws, for all of its problems, but like to just some mega church in the in the United States on the other side of the world for all of its flaws and all of its problems. Like like they would be like, "Oh my god, like Jesus really is Lord." Like nobody's talking wow. about Caesar wow. anymore, but 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 that suffering did turn to glory, and now there's the largest church in the world is in is in South Korea, you know, <laughs> and like this mm. little thing from Israel has gone all the way to South Korea, and now there's you know a hundred thousand person church in South Korea, and so I just thought, man, like suffering mm. really does turn to glory, and and Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is Lord, and so. That's what really held me up in Southern California was teaching through First Peter and thinking about that and then going, you know what, God? You did that at, in Good Friday. You did that in the resurrection. You've done that in history with your church. Like you took this tiny little suffering movement in the Mediterranean and it's gone around the world now. Maybe you can do that with my story. Like maybe suffering wow. really can turn to glory. And... uh yeah, I just kind of started believing that. Wow, man, that is so good. I'm, man, I'll probably use that uh, Colosseum thing at some time. Man, Go that for is it, so... bro. Yeah, transport them from the Roman circus to freaking biggest church in the world in South Korea. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty dope. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like one arena to another. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. I mean, that's it's crazy. Wow, yeah. wow, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's like, yeah. it's uh, is you not really mine. Sharing, that's God. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah, use it, take it, take it. Yeah. yeah, man. I mean, well, I mean, the Lord's like, that's the Lord like purifying you and doing things in the fire, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. I think at that first Sea Rock sessions, John Mark uh, Comer was talking about how um, pain can either uh, burn you out or it can burn you clean. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that it sounds like the Lord has really used it to like burn you clean. Mm. Um, so thank you for, yeah. Yeah, sharing that, I'm just, yeah, it's like balm to my soul too, like hearing all that. Praise so God, thank you, Trey. thank you, man, thank you. Dude. Yeah, um, I guess like uh, what, just like one or two more questions for you. Uh, did you have any like key leaders or friends or mentors in your life in dark seasons that like really helped you? And if so, like what did they, what did they do? And I guess the tag like of that question is like when you're walk when you were walking through your difficult season, what type of a person did you need? Hmm. Man, I can think of several that were amazing. I mean, um, 
and you know, I mean, I want to acknowledge my wife, you know, and our marriage hasn't been easy or, or perfect or pretty or anything. And we had, you know, challenges in this. It was, she lost the church too. And so it was super hard and, mm. you know, felt like she was losing her husband probably there too, but she really has been phenomenal. And so I, I just want to say, I love my, I love my wife. And like she, you know, when I got diagnosed and everything, she was never ashamed of me. She's always believed in me. And, and so she's amazing. Uh, another person, my dad, he would just call me almost every single day. And like, wow. he always believed, uh, the Joseph thing that God was going to like write a Joseph story. He believed it before I did it. And God is kind of like, not to say that I'm not going to suffer more in the future, but like we're planting a church here in Portland now. And the favor and the doors and the financial provision that God is doing is just blowing my mind. Like all the Joseph mm. Job stuff of like, you know, that Job got back double, like that's happening. And I'm just like, you know, absolutely astounded. And, and I know there's going to be more trials and suffering along the way, but like there really is something really redemptive happening. But yeah, so my dad, um, my best man or my, one of my, groomsman for my wedding and one of my best friends matt parolo he's just such a good friend to me and uh and then and then finally josh butler and uh i know in the national scene people are saying a lot of things about him on twitter let me just say he's one of the best human beings i've ever known in my life and uh so full of the holy spirit so full of the fruit of the spirit and he had all these best-selling books and stuff he would, he would just call me all the time and just like treat me like an equal and uh when I, I had a time where i wasn't in paid ministry but he believed in me so much that he would call me to, to brainstorm sermons and then he would paypal me money even though i didn't want him to I'd be oh like gosh you don't need to paypal me bro and he would just like no dude you're like you're like a creative consultant for me and i'm like what the heck bro but i guess the common denominator for all those people is just just being there just like mm being consistent, just checking in, listening. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think like, yeah, just being there listening. Uh, I mean, a lot of us have probably heard this, but like, um, being unshockable, like if somebody say, says something that's like pain and anguish, just remember how much crazy stuff like Jeremiah says, he says crazy things like Jeremiah. He's so mad at God. I think in Lamentations, he calls God a deceptive brook, like that gives no water. And like, uh, I mean, think about all the crazy stuff David says. Think about Job saying like, I wish I was never born. I wish I was born a stillborn. I wish I never came out of my mother's womb and stuff like. So like mm. if people are saying super sad, like emo stuff <laughs> when they're in the midst of you know, mental health, uh, crisis, like, don't be shocked by it. Just listen, just be their friend. Like, don't try to mm. jump down their throat with how wrong they are. That's what Job's friends did. And they were bad friends. And like, in the end, yeah. God says Job didn't do anything wrong, even though he said all that crazy stuff. And he actually says that his friends were wrong for their weird karma. Good people mm -hmm. don't say bad things like that. Good thing. Good people don't let, don't have bad things happen to them. Like, God's ready to kill those dudes and Job has to intercede for them and pray for them. I don't know if you can remember mm. that part at the end of Job, but like Job has to pray for like Bill dad and all those Zophar guys. Uh, 
so that God doesn't like mess them up. So, so anyways, like don't feel the need to rush in and correct someone who's suffering. Like, uh, pastor, I grew up under one of a great line he had is he always said, uh, walk softly around a broken heart, you know, walk softly wow. around a broken heart. So, mm, that's so good. And I mean, that goes, I mean, really just reminds me too of what you were saying earlier about, uh, like the embodied spirituality and yeah. like the centrality of like the incarnation along with the resurrection that just like, yeah. there's something that happens as another human. Like when we embody Jesus by being like fully present there with another person in that like broken body state, yeah. um, yeah. with them. So that's so good. Absolutely. Um, yeah. if you could speak to younger you, uh, like you are, um, let's say you just woke up in the hospital. Uh, what would you say, or maybe not say, what would you do if you were there with younger you in like present state? Dang, that's heavy. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, not to be like too lighthearted here, but I'd be like, Hey, you're going to make it. Look at me. I'm doing fine. <laughs> like, it's going to be okay, buddy. <laughs> like, like, I'll probably be like, Hey, yeah. you probably shouldn't have drinking that coffee late at night last week, huh? <laughs> like, you know, whatever. <laughs> just, uh, just like joking with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe that's too lighthearted. But uh, my wife and I, re we really enjoy the dark humor about all this stuff. It's like, how else do you come? Me too, because man. You have to kind of, you have to joke about Me it. Me too. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that was, that was really cool when you running around screaming after you crashed your car <laughs> or like. We should always joke about that, but uh, yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyhow, what else can you do? But um, yeah, I mean, I would say, on a more serious note, I think something that probably could have made some experiences easier was like, I took the first medication they prescribed me, kind of like no questions asked, and I was still so like having a hard time accepting that I had this diagnosis that I just was like, Oh yeah, I'll take this, whatever. And like, I had some people tell me that I had a mild diagnosis of bipolar because I was diagnosed later in life uh, at 27. I had very few episodes and I was pretty high achieving and successful. And so they told me I didn't need to take that medication like every day because it had these weird side effects. But in retrospect, I really wish I would have gotten on the lithium earlier. I didn't get on the lithium until 2020 and mm. it would have saved me a lot of like ups and downs and like, cause I was on this other medication. It's horrible. So I guess maybe I'd give myself the advice like, Hey, maybe talk to another doctor or like, don't be afraid to like explore other medications. Um, you know, there was actually one other pastor who kind of dogged on the medication now that I think about it. I'm not going to mention my name. He's a younger guy, yeah. but, uh, Anyhow, but yeah, so I would say like, don't be afraid to talk to doctors about different medication that could be helpful. Um, yeah. And then like, yeah, I mean, one thing I haven't gone into was just that a real huge thing in my depression was that, um, so when you're depressed, you have cognitive distortions and you have these when you have anxiety and even like OCD and stuff, they're real common. It's cognitive behavioral therapy and they teach you about distorted thinking. It's like a funhouse mirror. Okay. It could be a kernel of truth in it, 
but it gets stretched out and distorted. And so uh, I discovered after a while within my cognitive distortions that there was a connection between anxiety and idolatry. And uh, hmm. there's a quote by a philosopher named Alain de Botton. He says, anxiety is the handmaiden of modern ambition. Hmm. Anxiety is the handmaiden of modern wow. ambition. And I discovered part of the reason why I had these distorted thoughts of I'm worthless, I'm a failure, I'm never going to succeed, I'm never going to be this, I'm never going to achieve. That within it, I was really like that this idolatry of success and fame and influence and feeling like I wasn't successful enough and I wasn't achieving enough, that that was like the root to a large degree of my anxiety. And, and, and I haven't, like Paul says in Philippians, I haven't attained or I haven't been perfected or anything. But like hmm. one thing that I've grown in in the past six years, my wife and I both have, is just living in a posture of surrender and just saying, Lord, like you can be a big success and you just become Nebuchadnezzar. You know, you, you can be a big hmm. giant success and you just become Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh was very successful yeah. and famous. He, he, he had all the, the, the fame and he, he would have had a huge following on IG, right? Like he would have had you know, yeah. like all, 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 all the, all the drip and all the swag and all, and all the honeys and all the ladies, like he would have had it all, but he's Pharaoh. <laughs> right. And so it's like, like I would, there's a little line in the Psalms that says, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And, wow. and like, in other words, like I'd rather just be like, a janitor at the church or just like, you know, whatever, a bus boy serving the Lord at a restaurant than to be popping bottles in the penthouse in, in, in the tents of wickedness. And I think mm. that priority shift happened and it took time, but I got to a place where I actually was working at a restaurant previously. I'd been like speaking six times at events in Portugal and in Florida and Tennessee and Utah and California and, 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 you know, guest speaking all over it, but, but through like just this crazy turn of events during COVID, I got, I was in this place where I was just like serving wine to people and sandwiches and yeah. the Lord, like, but I wasn't, I was content, not because I love the service industry, but the Lord had done this reworking of my priorities and finding that place of contentment and surrender really took away the the distorted thoughts and the anxious thoughts of just going, you know what, Lord, like I can just love my coworkers and love my family and that's okay. I don't have to be in the spotlight, mm. but if you want to do more with my life, that's up to you, you know? And, wow. and like, you can do more with it if you want. And that's, and I'm down for that. But anyways, that's, that was a huge shift was a, that that's shift so good in my ambitions and that shift in my priorities. Hmm. Wow. That's powerful. Um, yeah, I guess it's like a last question before I just ask where people can find you. Um, so you mentioned it, it sounds like kind of differentiation as well, uh, of like differentiation between you and your worth in like Christ and who you are versus like what you achieve and what you do. Yeah, um, yeah. and even in some ways, like, you know, I, I don't know if you've struggled with this too, but like also the differentiation is like when you, when you're walking through something really heavy and it's like so consuming of your mind that like, I am somebody who like has struggled with depression and anxiety and, you know, for you with like bipolar, like 
but that's not all of me hmm. either. Um, and so I guess like on a practical note, what are some like practices or like things that have helped you in that journey? Um, cause those might, I, I imagine those are probably would be helpful for a lot of people. Like what helped you in that process of like taking that step away from finding your identity in those things? Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I don't know, just as you're phrasing the question, this is what comes to mind. I don't know if this is how I processed it in the past, but it's kind of how I would articulate it now. It's just like, um, yeah, yeah, I guess just going to this, like, oh, here's a good one. This is where I'll go. Okay. Is that like the most foundational thing about you and I and he, as human beings is that we're made in the image of God. And like the idea of the image of God is so significant that I have a, a bookcase full of books next to me. Not all of these are on this topic, but I probably have 10 books up there that are on this topic about how the image of God is where we get the concept of human rights. Mm -hmm. And Portland, the city behind me is all full of people who believe in equality and rights and human rights. But all these secular scholars and historians and Christian ones as well, like, you know, Frederick Neat from Frederick Nietzsche to Martin Luther King Jr. to uh, Jürgen Habermas to John Gray, who's a an atheist in, in, in the UK at the British School of Economics. Like what they all agree is that our idea of human rights comes from the idea that we're made in God's image. And that the way I treat Trey, this is the way the Bible lays this out later in like First John and stuff, is that the way I treat Trey and James is a reflection of the way I treat God. Yep. So like if I treat Trey terrible, that's a reflection of how I'm treating God. That's what James says. That's what First John says. And so finding my worth in Christ and going, I'm made in God's image, you know, somebody who has horrible cerebral palsy, someone who's addicted to drugs, someone with schizophrenia, they're made in God's image. And so that's why we need to love them. We need to care for them. But then I guess the other place I would go is about differentiation is that in the resurrection, I'm not going to have bipolar anymore. My brain yep. will be, will be resurrected and healed and I'll still be loved by God in Christ. And so like finding my worth in Christ, but then also, I guess, just like maybe noticing parts of my life that are part of the goodness of creation, not part of the fall. So like mm. if, if sickness and sin is part of the fall, then like, oh, well, I do have qualities. They're not perfect, but like I do have qualities that I think are gifts of the goodness of creation. And so like, yeah, I don't know. I've got other skills that God is, they're gifts. I shouldn't be prideful about them, but like, yeah, I'm a pretty good graphic designer. I'm pretty good at this. I've got kids. I, I love them. I have fun in yeah. the sunshine. I go hiking. I, I don't know. Like, and just like, there were days, even when I was still battling pretty bad depression of just like finding those moments where I was glad to be alive. <laughs> like I remember yeah. one day I was kayaking down the Rio Grande in New Mexico. It's not a very deep river, by the way. It's a very small river. It's kind of pathetic. That's interesting. Oh, uh, it sounds like the opposite of what it's called. <laughs> Bless you, Rio Grande. Bless you. But uh, but it was it actually had rained really good that summer. But I was with like my best friend, and we were kayaking down this river. We both had our kids in their life jackets, and it was so cute. I still remember this moment. I just remember going like, I'm glad to be alive. Like, it doesn't mm. matter like what's happened to me. Like here I am. I'm I'm. I'm happy to be in this moment, you know? And so maybe that's some differentiation where it's like, yeah, 
okay, yeah, that, that day in the hospital was horrible. That day in the, in the ambulance was terrible. But, like, hey, I'm not yeah. in that moment now. Like, I'm just here floating down a river with my buddy, and it's beautiful outside, and I've got my daughter here in a life jacket, and she's really cute, you know? And just, like, hmm. finding those moments where you can just say, like, no, man, this is the goodness of creation. The fall, the fall hasn't spoiled all of it, you know? Wow. Mm, that's so good. And, man, I mean, just even as you – I've heard you several times say it's like those times when you stop and you realize I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad I'm here. It's good yeah. to be here. Yeah. When you've been in really dark places yeah. Uh, and, yeah, felt like it was only darkness all around you, whenever you do recognize that, it just, like, it feels all the more, like, powerful yeah. and beautiful yeah. and, like, I don't know, you hold it more open-handed, but, like, I'm yeah. happy that it's there, you know? I'm not and trying I, to cling to it too much. And I bet you the science would elucidate this, but I think the more you notice those moments, the more of them start to happen, you know, like, like, mm. and, 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 and I don't mean that in some weird law of attraction way, but I just mean yeah, it yeah, in sure. a sense like, like gratitude probably counteracts the, uh, cognitive distortions or the intrusive thoughts or whatever. Like, like, when you take time to notice like, man, like just here eating this delicious sandwich and I'm thankful for it. You know, <laughs> like that, like, yeah, yeah. Your, your brain probably you're training your brain, you're rewiring your brain to like notice more of those moments. And, and I've, I've found that to be the case in my life. Mm, that's yeah. so good. Well, Jesse, thank you so much. <laughs> No, it is. But I mean, it's like, it's those simple things, you know, it doesn't have exactly. to be this massive. It's like these small daily, yeah. daily practices um, and things yeah. like that, that really can make a difference in that happiness and deep sadness can coexist in the same day, same hour, same true. minute. Oh, um, God, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Like that dark humor. That was like one of the few things I would laugh about when I was in a really dark season. I'd have a couple friends who sent me really dark memes that would probably <laughs> scare some people. But um, one of the few things that made me laugh. Um, oh, bro, I got one I'm going to send you later. <laughs> yeah, please do. Honestly, if you got any, man, I'm always down to I'm always down to see them. So, um, yeah, man. Uh, well, as we uh, wrap up, Jesse, just thank you so much for um, sharing what the Lord has done in your life and through your life. I'm, um, yeah, I'm really encouraged. And I, I know we talked about this before when we connected in uh, L.A., but, um, yeah, just it's always encouraging hearing someone else who's like um, – walked through uh, although your struggles is very different uh, than mine in a lot of ways like in the specifics of it um, walked through journeying with mental health as um, a pastor is a husband um, now for me also as like a father what does that look like um, and so uh, yeah all of that just thank you for sharing your story and I know the Lord's gonna use it and is using it um, and yeah I guess as we wrap up how can people find you um, and find what you're up to these days yeah yeah so yeah if you uh, want to you can just at Jesse Lesko on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever I, I don't really tweet too much these days but uh, yeah just at Jesse Lesko my name is pretty unusual the Lesko name it's uh gets me all the handles all the handles I want them nice because I'm the and then you're I'm like Tigger. that's amazing but uh, <laughs> yeah and then our church plan thing about Tigger. is a uh, counterculture dot church counterculture dot church cool. and then it's just counterculture pdx on instagram but yeah thanks Trace. awesome so fun my, my dude yeah man well yeah blessings uh blessings on you and thank you again